Welcome to the podcast where heavy industrial industries meet the venture capital ecosystem, interviewing both thought-leading investors and pioneering founders to better understand the opportunities and challenges that lie ahead for digital industrial innovation. Your host is Ty Finley, and this is the Heavy Hitters Podcast. Tim Keebler joins us today from Boston. Tim is a partner at OpenView, an expansion stage VC firm where he focuses on B2B application software with a particular interest in tech laggard blue collar industries that are undergoing digital transformation. Prior to joining OpenView in 2020, he spent time as an investor at LLR Partners. And before that, he started his career investing at General Catalyst. Tim has invested in digital industrial innovators, including paperless parts and encampment, and other investments, including ClearBridge, Datto, SparkPost, and eOriginal. Tim, great to have a, a true digital industrial nerd with me on the show. Welcome to the Heavy Hitters. Hey, Ty. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Awesome. Well, let, we always start with backgrounds here, so I gave a snapshot, but give us more of that color commentary of how you how you found your way into this world of digital industrial venture capital investing. Yeah. Uh, so it actually starts with my childhood, uh, growing up outside of Philadelphia, uh, and for our listeners out there, when, when you read the, the post introducing this podcast, I'm going to be cheering for the Cowboys because I, I lost it at the tie. That's exactly back right. To the story. <laughs> back to the story. So my dad was a, uh, was a blue collar entrepreneur growing up. He had a small commercial cleaning business, about five employees of which I was one, so definitely uh, learned the, the, the value of a dollar working there as well as how to clean toilets. Luckily, just cleaning my toilet these days. Um, but anyway, he, he worked his butt off, wore many hats from cleaning to billing to HR to sales and marketing. And what that meant for the family was he wasn't spending as much time with us as he could have been. And knowing what I know now, I think back and say, man, I wish he had some really easy to use like SaaS business management software to to run his company because then he would have been he would have got a bunch of time back in his day he would have been able to spend more time with us right and so i think that's really the personal driver behind the interest in, in blue collar tech if you fast forward many many years um i first got introduced to industrial automation manufacturing tech at llr partners although being on the private equity side of things we we're very much interested in more kind of cash flow oriented businesses. So the companies that the companies that you and I are now interested in are disrupting. Um, although there was one which is on my anti portfolio list, which is a business called Eris in the PLM space, which happened to be PLG before my partner Blake Bartlett coined the term uh, product led growth. Uh, P- Peter and Tony and the team there did a fantastic job. So bum we missed that, that one. But luckily, there are many more fish in the sea. Um, mm-hmm. And then Fast forward to OpenView, uh, and it's kind of, you know, the first time that I had real agency uh, in my career, I knew I wanted to do blue collar tech. I wish I could tell you I had, you know, a crystal ball and I knew industrial automation was going to be the next big thing. Instead, uh, I know that the entrepreneurs are actually smarter than I am, and I actually listen to them for areas of innovation. And it, it also happens that two of my partners, Sanji. Kalblar and Ricky Pelletier also have an interest in industrial automation. Sanjeev started his career at Constellation Software, uh, which is a software business uh, that invests in blue collar industries and builds and and, and buys in blue collar industries out of Canada. And then Ricky's uh, dad actually worked cutting bars uh, on the shop floor. So we kind of had this nucleus of interest in 
industrial automation as well as a nucleus of really compelling uh, founders within industrial automation that we met building compelling companies. And that brings us here today. Uh, and we've been fortunate enough to make two investments uh, within industrial automation. It's Encamp, not Encampment. So I got to correct you on that one, Ty. And Fairless Parts, uh, no worries. And uh, I think we will have many, many more for many, many more years to come. Right on. Well, love the personal story on your side and all the DNA around the horn at OpenView. Um, that that passion definitely uh, helps a lot when you're talking to these founders that also have a passion, personal passion about what they're doing in this sector. So m- maybe then just to set the discussion for our listeners about OpenView, tell us a little bit more about the fund generally, the investment strategy, any focus areas overall, and then finally where, where you are specifically spending your time. Yeah, so... Um... Our strategy here at OpenView is very simple, which is probably why I was attracted to the firm because I'm a very simple person. Um, But we do one thing and we do it very well, which is partner with B2B software companies at the expansion stage to help them realize their potential faster. Um, So let me unpack that a little bit more. We really think about kind of three layers of focus here at OpenView. One, we only invest in business software companies, both application as well as infrastructure. Um, Two, we only invest in uh, companies at the expansion stage, which tend to be companies that are called one to 20 million of ARR that have found product market fit. And I'm happy to go into that later in the call for for your users. And then three, we take a very concentrated approach to to building our portfolio. So we only make about 15 partnerships um, per fund. And that's all, all of that focus is by design. On the back end, what we've done is we've built what we call our expansion team. It's up to 30 some odd people. I feel like we add another rock star every week. So I, I don't know the exact number, but these are these are folks, you can almost think of it as an in-house consulting group. These are folks that are helping with things like, you know, go to market and, and even more specifically uh, product like growth. They're helping with talent. They're helping with ecosystem. Um, the list goes on. My, my favorite stat uh, is just that the headcount to portfolio company ratio. So we're up to about 75 people at OpenView now, and we make 15 partnerships per fund. So that's a six to one OpenView employee uh, to portfolio company ratio. Most of those OpenView employees not being investors, being folks that help create value for the portfolio. I think you'd be very, uh, it'd be very difficult to go and find another firm with with a ratio that high, or even within kind of an order order magnitude to that ratio. On the fund side of things, we're currently investing out of our, our sixth fund. It's $450 million. Our typical investment is call it five to, to 50 million. We don't really think about letters because it's kind of gone of, of the days or letters, but they tend to be, because uh, I always get the question, they tend to be series A, series B, and every once in a while a series C will, will sneak in there. Where we focus, um, again, it's, it's any company within business software you know, we have specialists on the infrastructure, cybersecurity side, and then a bunch of folks that, that sit on kind of the horizontal as well as vertical application uh, teams. Personally, um, you know, kind of hit on uh, blue collar tech is, is one of the, the major themes, industrial automation being a big kind of subsegment within blue collar tech. The other two areas where I tend to spend a bunch of time are uh, tech laggard industries that are just undergoing, just now undergoing digital transformation. So, Recent uh, partnership of mine is a company called Pursuit, uh, which is based out in New York and Melbourne. 
and they're providing software into corporate legal departments to digitize very analog um, processes. And then the other bucket, uh, which uh, isn't formulaic or, or sector focused, I should say, by any means, but it's really just people focus. We're in the people business after all. So every once in a while, you meet a founder or founding team in, in, a, in, a, in a sector that you don't know all that well, but you just hit it off with them and, and you want to help them build. And so anytime that that happens, uh, I am always down for the ride. Got it. Well, some amazing stats on the portfolio value add you're adding back into the, those startups, as well as um, this topic of product-led growth. You can assure yourself we're coming back to it. Hot topic here in industrial. So look forward <laughs> to covering that. Um, okay. So we got OpenView, very well-known B2B venture firm that's been around since 2006, now over a billion and a half capital under management, if I did my math right. So that said, and aligned to our ongoing discussions between you and I, you really have taken on uh, with your other teammates kind of a new sector-focused approach to invest in manufacturing and industrial markets specifically, and again, paperless parts and in-camp as recent examples. What were the macro factors that outlined the time was now to focus on these industrial markets that could ultimately drive Alpha back to the fund? And and then, you know, ultimately, how does that drive back to OpenView's mission to improve people's working lives? I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, for sure. Great question. Um, so I think there's there's kind of like a pre-COVID answer and a post-COVID answer. Pre-COVID, the most obvious trend, at least in my mind, was uh, the convergence of OT and IT and just the efficiency that more data-driven um, applications, IoT, could bring into the industrial um, setting. You also had the, the worker shortage, which was alive and well before COVID. Then, you know, kind of enter stage left COVID, um, and it only accelerated uh, the worker shortage. It screwed up the supply chain, as you know. Um, and the other thing that, that it did that I only realized kind of in, in retrospect, it actually opened up access to actually sell software remotely and sell cloud software into these categories that previously may have been a little gun shy uh, to, to buy these types of of software tools. And then the last macro trend, uh, which may be more of like an emotional driver than a macro trend is, is just so damn patriotic. Like we need to revitalize American manufacturing and anything that OpenView can do to play a part, like count us in. I mean, these industries, if you roll them up, have to have the GDP in this country, right? So kind of important in some way or another, right? That is exactly right. I think it's just kind of important. Yeah. <laughs> and then coming to the, the second part of the question around mission, we're, we're a very mission-driven um, group here at OpenView. Our, our mission is to improve people's working lives. Um, and, and, you know, it's great to improve, uh, you know, folks in IT or white-collar folks' working lives, but the mission is really to improve everyone's working lives. And one of our core values is to maximize impact through focus when I think about the comment that you just made as to the size of these markets, as well as just how underserved they've been by uh, technology, I think the best way to, you know, kind of maximize impact of improving people's working lives is to drive innovation in these categories. No doubt. I believe the customer should speak the loudest and the budgets that are now opening up post-COVID definitely lend into what were some good trends happening pre-COVID. So just, again, it's a compliment to how you broke it apart there. 
I'm seeing budgets open up like they've never had before in some of these legacy industries and exciting time. We're both biased audiences investing in this space, but um, don't, don't miss the wave would be my final comment on that one for sure. I'm on my, uh, I'm on my surfboard guy, although I can't <laughs> surf, so I'll probably fall off. <laughs> right on, right. On. I'm a Texan. I don't know anything about surfing, so uh, you got yeah, me I'm on from, that one. I'm from, Phil- I'm from Philly. It's boogie boards for me. I like it. Okay, so uh, getting us back on topic here, I've written about, you and I have discussed the need for sector focus and specialization to really compete in what is today's frenetic, to use one word amongst others, VC market. So why is sector focus differentiation important, especially within these nuanced industrial environments, if we use that term? And what maybe what are some industrial themes that have bubbled up from you being so focused with that specialization? Yeah, for sure. So one of the first people I worked for out of college was David Fialco at General Catalyst. He had a saying, which is luck rewards the prepared mind. And that's a philosophy that has stuck with me throughout my career. To your point, it's even more important now with um, the funding environment where deals aren't getting done in months or even weeks, they're getting done in days. And when it comes to more complex end markets like industrial automation, you just have no shot in hell to get up to speed quickly unless you have that prepared mind or you have a bunch of folks within your network that you can call, you know, they'll answer the phone and they'll get you to the right answer quickly. And so I think it's just, you know, of utmost, it's becoming more and more important uh, as every day passes. In terms of themes uh, that have bubbled up, I'm going to use that uh, question as a shameless plug for paperless parts and NCAMP. Um, So starting with NCAMP, uh, what the company does is they provide environmental software that makes complying with federal and state-mandated regulations very easy. A simple uh, kind of VC cheat code way to think about it is the TurboTax for environmental compliance. So if I'm a manufacturer and I have a facility, I have to report on things like hazardous waste, hazardous chemicals, air, water, et cetera. There's probably 10 or 12 regulatory categories. And what gets worse is the uh, kind of what, how, and when to report actually changes by state and even sometimes down to the county. And so this problem uh, or challenge of reporting becomes very complex very quickly if you have multiple facilities across multiple states. What NCAMP does is makes uh, reporting super simple, just a couple clicks after you enter your data and they automate everything on the back end. So the trend here, and shout out to Luke Jacobs, who is an awesome, awesome, awesome founder CEO over there as well. Probably the number one reason, or actually the number one reason why we invested in the business. The trend here is ESG, right? Like, I don't think you could turn on the news and not hear about climate issues. And so it kind of goes back to, you know, I guess not even improving people's working lives, but just, you know, benefiting the, the community and, and everyone. Anytime that we find an investment that's double bottom line, I guess it's very excited here at OpenView. The, the next business is Paperless Parts. What Paperless does is provide sales and quoting software into job shops and contract manufacturers. Again, another fantastic founder CEO, Jason Ray, absolutely killing it. Um, th- there's really two themes for this one. One is empowering kind of American manufacturing and especially call it like small to mid 
manufacturers, although they're starting to work with more and more enterprise groups. And the second is driving efficiencies in the supply chain. So one interesting thing that Jason has done is he's partnered with a business called Penn Engineering, which happens to be in my home county of Bucks County, PA. Shout out Bucks County. Um, <laughs> they are a major supplier into the sheet metal fabricator market. And so Jason's partnered with them to create kind of a, a product, a data and workflow product that Penn is able to roll out through their distributors to their customers to enable kind of a real-time view into things like pricing and, and lead time for components. Um, and so it's driving a lot of efficiency in the supply chain there. Well, both fantastic trends. I love it. And I think what we've now done is we've established how you guys saw macro tailwinds to start investing in this category. Uh, a couple of the trends that have popped up through being really thematically focused on it. And I want to take our conversation now into what I mentioned about coming back to this theme of go-to-market, where you guys really, really can drive a ton of value. So scaling SaaS products within these industrial markets definitely, in my opinion, is not the same as selling in traditional enterprise software systems or consumer ecosystems where there are well-tread software buying patterns that can host viral bottoms-up effects rapidly, right? So... I guess aligned to all that though, likely one of the most well-known facets about OpenView is its pioneering of the product-led growth model that amplifies and enhances this bottoms-up user motion, which a big, big fan of here. So maybe then bringing this all back, let's first start by having you define what product-led growth is for our audience. And then as a bend toward this podcast and deploying it within industrial markets, what PLG tactics have you seen work and what doesn't work within these legacy Again, oftentimes don't have sophisticated software buying centers or well-tread software end user. Before jump, before jumping in, just a quick shout out. I, I mentioned them earlier, but my partner Blake Bartlett, who actually coined the term product-led growth back in 2016, and then we have a ton of wonderful folks team that eat, sleep, and drink uh, PLG all day long. Kyle Poyar and Sam Richard are, are two that uh, we've been working with a ton in terms of applying PLG to blue collar industries, we've probably worked with about 15 or, or 20 companies on, on projects in and around kind of, kind of that category. Um, so lots of, lots of good stuff and definitely sharpening our pencils on, on how to bring this into industrial automation. But getting back to your question, um, so product like growth um, kind of definition, you know, it's an end user focused growth model where you're really leveraging the, the product as a go-to-market machine. So you're using the product for customer acquisition, for conversion and expansion. Um, we really talk about three pillars of product-led growth. So one is to design for the end user. Two is to deliver value before capturing value. And three is to invest in product with go-to-market intent. You might be asking, why is this important? Is it just a hypey? VC thing that everybody talks about now. The answer uh, lies in the market caps of public software companies. So the median PLG company has about 2x the market cap, the median uh, B2B SaaS company. Um, and I would highly encourage all of the listeners, whether you're brand new to PLG uh, or uh, an expert, go check out the OpenView blog. There's a ton of great content there to help you get up to speed. Um, so that, that's part one of the question. I think part two is what works and doesn't work. Is that right, Ty? That's right. Yeah. What it's specific to these, um, blue collar where you guys have been running some experiments settings. Yeah, for sure. So, um, b 
before jumping into that, I, I think step one is to kind of look yourself in the mirror and, um, you know, realize what type of product you are, i.e., uh, is your product suited for product-led growth or is it not? And there's a whole spectrum of, of products and how you can apply PLG to various products, but we'll just kind of keep it to two to make it very, very simple. We'll call one PLG product, we'll call two not PLG product, right? Which could be an enterprise product or, or a vertical niche product without the right characteristics. In uh, category one, where the product's actually designed for, for the end user to solve the end user's pain from day one, it's all about experimentation. So there's no kind of secret formula like Lemking's B2B SaaS playbook where we can tell you exactly what works for your business. That said, OpenView has a framework to make more to make experimentation more formulaic by kind of maturity stage of company. Um, I think the the best way to answer what works is probably with a couple different examples. Um, so there aren't many, call it like large industrial automation companies out there that are pure play PLG. One of my favorites is Safety Culture, which is a business in the inspection software space. And what they've done exceptionally well is turn their product into a marketing machine. So they attract tons of visitors to their website with a library of like 100,000 checklist templates spanning a diverse array of industries and use cases where users have the pain of needing a checklist and they're actually going to Google to see if they can find that template. And, and then they find Safety Culture's website and they're able to sign up for free Right. And then it gets even better on the back end because these safety processes are inherently collaborative. Um, and so folks are sharing safety culture, which leads to even more expansion. Um, so that's that's one of call it like an established industrial automation company. The second, uh, and this is something I used to do, uh, you know, back in my teenage days, I'm, I'm going to flip the interview on its head and interview mm-hmm. the interviewer. Uh, the second is Copia, which happens to be at one of your portfolio companies. And, and they're, you know, in the early innings of bringing PLG from the ground up into industrial automation. So why don't, why don't you share with us, Ty, why that's, why that's interesting and a few of the things that they're doing? Well, uh, I've never had the flipped table here, but could not be more <laughs> excited uh, for what Adam Gluck and that team are doing at Copia. But, you know, said differently, it's bringing modern DevOps tools into the industrial control systems environment. And what they have is a Git-based way of bringing source control programming into the 21st century. And we have to give a lot of respect to all the software that's programming ladder logic and other types of PLC coding into our infrastructure that operates our entire world. But I think the idea that modern CI CD tools have never been brought into these industrial automation environments it's going to happen and it's going to happen quickly because of all the, let alone cyber risk, but just in general, knowing how and when people programmed what they did. So I'll, I'll again, not going to be a promo about Copia, but I think what, what I'd love to, <laughs> I'd love to circle it back to you though, because you are the interviewee. When you think yeah. about end user in these environments, right? Definitely different when, when it comes to like a blue collar skilled laborer, as opposed to maybe yeah. more end user and enterprise software classification, 
So from your experiments, who are you actually selling into as that PLG motion as an end user in these industrial environments, if that if that question came across? It definitely comes across, and I, I hate to say it, but it varies. Um, so again, yeah. I'll answer it. I'll answer it with a couple examples. Um, and, and this, this, I'll actually link it back to our earlier conversation or earlier topic around, you know, kind of product type one PLG, product type two not PLG. Most mm -hmm. of these, especially the established industrial automation businesses, weren't built to be PLG from day one. And so what they've actually done is applied to applied product led principles to various parts of the customer journey. One of my favorite uh, stories is Procor, right? Construction mm -hmm. is inherently collaborative, right? And Procor realized that and used it to create uh, virality. And one stat that I love there is of Procore's 1.6 million users, 60% are collaborators. So 60% are subcontractors invited by uh, general contractors, right? And then, you know, a portion of that number actually become uh, paying users. And so I guess to answer your question, it could be anyone. It could be subcontractors. It could be engineers. It could be designers. Um, I think even though uh, buying patterns or, or budget at the end user level may not be the norm today within these markets. What is true is that these end users are builders, right? By, by definition, and they tend to be very pragmatic. So if you're able to show them a product that they can figure out quickly, get kind of quick time to value, chances are they're going to buy that product. They're going to go ask for budget to, to purchase it. Um, so I, I think what you'll see going forward is more and more kind of PLG adoption and applying PLG principles across all these end markets. Yeah, I, I think that's so spot on. It, it may not be the actual end user in some of these industrial sectors that's buying. Maybe they don't have software budget, but they want modern digital tools in their life, just like their personal life, and they will they will cause a fuss if they see something that's driving value in their day to day and push that up to whoever maybe that quote unquote end user is. Maybe it's like line operate manager or, you know, the GC's project manager, but it will it will benefit from the PLG motion. So um, my my final comment is could not be more in agreement. This is where things are headed for sure. So excited for OpenView. I think it's going to pay big dividends for you guys. Um, we hope so. I think so. Um, I'm biased audience here too. So Tim, we'd love to always, at least some part of the discussion, bring bring back some words of wisdom for founders out there who are thinking about raising capital, uh, venture capital. So what gets you excited about these companies that are kind of in that expansion stage, as you quote earlier for OpenView? And we'd love to just break it apart, give them a couple keys to success as they approach the conversation and, and any common challenges to maybe help them head off before then. Yeah, uh, I mentioned it earlier, but we're in the people business, right? And so the first thing that we look for at OpenView is founder market fit. Why is that founder or group of founders uniquely capable to solve the problem that they're going after? And that could mean, you know, a founder who comes out of the industry. So someone like Luke Jacobs at NCAMP, who was an environmental compliant or environmental consultant and saw how screwed up the process was. His brother happened to 
work at a number of start out, startups, including Datadog, so funny coincidence there, they came together and created a SaaS tool to, to you know, kind of solve that problem through automation. Or it could be a founder like Adam, right, where, you know, he's applying DevOps best practices at Uber, uh, has roots to manufacturing, sees manufacturing is missing this very kind of basic utility and, and comes into the market from a different industry, but similar kind of experience set to uh, solve the problem. So that's kind of one. And what I'll add there, which this probably isn't true of all my partners, but I'm going to say it anyway. Personally, I have like another test on the founder and there's uh, two parts to it. One is, would I work for this person? Which tends to be a very, very high bar. And that's true of both Luke at, at NCAMP and, and Jason at Paperless. And part two, which I think you'll get a kick out of Ty, is would I have beers with this person? Uh, which is also very true of both Luke and Jason. The, the next thing that we look for, uh, and this is kind of, you know, what defines the expansion stage, at least in our mind, is product market fit. And, you know, that's kind of an enigma for a lot of entrepreneurs out there. So I'll share how we think about it, which is two parts. One, there are, you know, kind of a number of paying customers who describe the value prop in a very similar way. And then two, um, there's repeatability in the go-to-market motion. So it's not just the founder selling, right? And the unit economics are, are showing that the business can grow profitably. We look for, you know, kind of characteristics that a bunch of all the other VCs look for in terms of, you know, good competitive dynamics and, and large markets. I, I think the one other um, attribute that's a bit unique to OpenView is we're very focused on what we call DCA or defensible competitive advantages commonly known as moats, right? And so we're looking for things like um, data assets or network effects or a PLG motion with virality that's, that's giving someone a cost advantage that, you know, can really create an enduring, not only a large business, but an enduring business. Um, so those, those are a few kind of successes. In terms of challenges, and uh, I don't mean to be a copycat, but I'm going to steal it from Dana's episode that, that you did a couple months ago. It's really this idea of kind of pilot purgatory, right? Like if I were an entrepreneur, I would no doubt chase these big logos, want to make them my customers, want to put them on my website. But oftentimes what we see is these smaller companies kind of get pushed around and it's hard to make these things very structured and you know you have to be able to want or show that you'll walk away. Difficult to do, but what's even worse for the business is getting caught with a bunch of pilots and not showing kind of that repeatability, right, of the customer value prop on the uh, product market fit kind of equation. Absolutely. Well, all very thoughtful. It's clear you have a framework of how you're evaluating what does or doesn't fit for you guys. And I absolutely love the two part. Would I work for them? Would I grab some beers with them in this world of venture <laughs> that's, that's, mo that's moving too fast? Hey, right on. I, I'm, I'm in agreement. And it's, it's wild to me that these, I, I don't know who wrote it up recently, the shotgun marriages that are going down, you better really have a prepared mind and get to know these founders long before the fundraise, in my opinion. Nonetheless, uh, love to always wrap up here, Tim, with a little section we call quick hitters, rapid fire Q&A. So if you're ready, we'll jump in. Let's do it. Okay. Number one thing you're looking for, and maybe you've already answered this, when evaluating an expansion stage digital industrial founder. Yeah, found, founder market fit. 
Right on. One resource, book, podcast, blog, whatever you'd recommend our audience to follow in the ecosystem. Softball, heavy hitters podcast. Nope, can't answer that one. I appreciate it. And actually, <laughs> Tim, I would love for you to give everyone the formal uh, link to the OpenView blog because it is really, really great resources there. What, what's the website? It's openviewpartners.com slash blog. Right on. One person who should be on the podcast. Yeah, so uh, a friend of mine named Jacob Ruttenberg. He is a partner at Tinicum Ventures. He's third generation uh, manufacturing, um, and they have a very, it's a new venture firm that, that he's starting as a sidecar to uh, their private equity fund. They have a very interesting model where they have a large network of potential customers and partners that they can bring to bear for early stage industrial uh, automation companies to really accelerate uh, their development. Right on. Finally, best way for folks to reach out to you? Email. Uh, and OpenView must know I'm a simple guy, uh, so they kept it simple so that I don't forget my email, which is just tim at ov.vc. Right on. Well, Tim, had a, had a blast. I don't think anything's slowing down in our world of digital industrial applications anytime soon, so we have lots to chat about, and I cannot wait to see my Dallas Cowboys post pretty soon here. So appreciate you <laughs> jumping on, man. Yeah, thanks so much, Ty. I had a blast, and uh, go Birds. <laughs>